Hello, Ports fans. Welcome into the inaugural episode of the Portside Pod, the official podcast of the Stockton Ports. I'm the voice of the Ports, Alex Jensen, and until baseball continues once again, this will be your home for all Ports conversation and interviews. In our first episode, we visit with longtime Ports broadcaster Zach Bayrudi, who shares how he's coping without baseball and discusses some of his favorite memories from his time in Stockton. Welcome into the inaugural Stockton Ports podcast. It is a uh, very strange times in the baseball world right now. I'm the new voice of the Stockton Ports, Alex Jensen. I'm joined by my predecessor, of course, uh, Zach Bayrudi, live from Lodi, California. Zach, thanks, uh, thanks for joining me, first of all. It's, it's crazy times, man. How are you coping uh, with not being at the ballpark as tomorrow is April 1st? Well, thanks for having me. Uh, it's nice to, like, talk to you, even though – you know, we're social distancing via Zoom. Uh, but I'm, I'm coping fine. Uh, I think everything's, everyone's doing the best they can. Uh, everything's a bit strange right now. I can't believe we're about to turn the calendar to April and like, I'm not going to leave my house much in the month of April. And that's the month where everything usually kicks up again. But, um, you know, staying safe. Uh, hopefully everybody else is, is doing the same and, and following the guidelines. And, and hopefully we can get this thing rolling as soon as possible. Uh, that feels like the toughest part of this, right? I mean, it's just having to stay inside your house and not do what you normally do. I mean, of course, you know, the necessities are there. I just moved. It was a tricky time. We talked about this yesterday. I just moved. It's, yeah. a, it's been a tricky time to move, uh, but you can still go to the grocery store, obviously. W what do you miss most about not, like, going out and doing your normal deal? I miss, I miss having the option, right, of, like, going to a uh, restaurant or a happy hour or just seeing friends saying hey let's meet up and do x y and z i miss like i miss my daily workouts i you know i, <laughs> I never thought i'd miss them that much but like I, I miss the routine i'm a routine guy and that's why baseball fits me so well uh, i miss just being able to go do that whenever i want to do it i miss like being able to go get a haircut like i think everybody's hair is getting a little bit long i miss the everyday interactions and, and having the options to do these things so i don't know man how about you what are you missing same deal. I mean, I, you know, I, we're both about to start new jobs. And when I took the ports job, when I took this job at the, job ports, at the ports a few months ago, you know, I couldn't wait for uh, April 9th, which was going to be opening day in Visalia. Yeah. And, and like you said, going through the routine and the grind of going to the ballpark every day and uh, getting new baseball once again, every single day. So that, that, I think that's the hardest part of this is we don't know when this is going to end. You know, I mean, like you said, the best we can do is just, follow the guidelines that we've been given and, and try to make it as short as possible. But that, I think that's the hard part is like, I don't have a date to look forward to being at Banner Island ballpark again and getting baseball. I mean, that's, that's what I miss the most is it, you know, opening day was supposed to be just a few days ago in major league baseball, obviously minor league and in a yeah. couple. I mean, so I think just not knowing when this is going to end is, has been the hardest part for me aside from going to get a haircut and going to the gym and doing all those normal activities that guys like you and me normally do. Yeah, I, I was talking on the phone with Rick Magnante uh, this morning, who's former ports manager for four years. And, uh, you know, he's 72 years old. He was set to go manage in Vermont, uh, the short season club this year. And, I, you know, I, I just called and checked in. And, um, you know, he says the same thing. He said that not knowing, not knowing when you're going to have baseball yeah. again is, is really the, the toughest element of this whole thing and 
he's like, look, I know that, you know, he's like, I might be down to my last few seasons of being on the field and, and everyone at this point is precious. Um, so he, he was, he was bumming and, and I totally felt for him. This is the Stockton Ports podcast. Uh, we're, uh, we're filling the time until baseball season now. Again, I'm Alex Jensen. Thought there'd be no better way uh, to start this endeavor during this period when, you know, we're waiting for baseball than with our friend Zach Beirutti. You know him well, 14 years with the Stockton Ports. It, let's, let's take a walk down memory lane for a second, Zach. Love if, those if walks. You will. Oh, yeah. Not, nothing, nothing better, right? So you started now in two, 2006. Was that right? Is that when you got to Stockton? 2006, I moved from uh, Worcester, Mass, sight unseen. It was right out of college and had no idea what was in store for me. I, I, looked, I literally looked up Stockton, California, and I looked up Banner Island Ballpark on, I think it was like Google Maps, and saw there was like a water tower in the area, and it was right on the, on the, the river. And I was like, well, this, you know, that'll be, that'll be home for as long as it's home. And I could not have even fathomed that it would be 14 years. Um, and you know, here I am, I'm still in, in Lodi and I'm still going to be doing Pacific basketball. And, and this is still going to be my home for the better part of the year, even though I'll be in Reno, uh, seasonally once we get going, but like, that's why I was so excited for you when, when you, when you got the ports job is that it's such a special place and it's, it's such a great, uh, incubator. If you're, you know, wanting to do baseball play by play, like there's, there's no better venue I can think of and there's no better organization I can think of uh, than the Stockton Ports and I was just lucky to have landed landed in Stockton. So, so help help me kind of you know uh, get ready for baseball season and help the fans get ready for baseball season at Banner Island Ballpark. What's your favorite part about the ballpark experience in Stockton and what are you going to miss the most? Um, oh, that's a tough question because there's a lot there's a lot to uh, to really like um, I'm going to miss, I think the, uh, the intimacy of the venue. And I'm actually, I'm going to a, a venue in greater Nevada field in Reno that is, is very similar to Banner Island. It's just a little bit, it's considerably bigger. I think it holds about uh, eight or 9,000 and Banner Island's about five, but, um, there, there is a, an intimacy there. And I got familiar with so many people, uh, game day employees and fans, and I knew exactly where everybody was stationed if they worked there. I knew exactly where everybody sat if they came to, to most of the games. So I'll, I'll miss that familiarity. Um, you know, I, I think I'm racking my brain for more, but I think that's, that's right at the top of my list, and that pretty much uh, encapsulates everything I'm going to miss uh, really about the ballpark and the venue. Help, help me get ready for this. Like, I mean, what – describe to me – and, I, you know, I was there for nine games so uh, mm-hmm. this past year um, and got a no-hitter out of it, which is a <laughs> – that's, that's yeah, an inside joke between you and I. I mean, <laughs> I felt so bad, man. You're there for 14 years, and the one no-hitter that happened – the first one since I think it was 1991 happens when 90. you're gone for a period – 1990. There you go. It happens when you're gone for a period – of nine days you deserve to call that one but no, I'm, glad to, did. I'm glad you did I'm glad I was happy to sit in your seat uh so what can I expect here Zach with with the game day atmosphere at Banner Island Ballpark when it's full fourth of July opening day what have you I think I was there for a fireworks night or two mm-hmm. um but what can I expect uh the, the giveaways are going to be great uh you could expect long lines when when they have the bobblehead giveaways and this is this is really what what's a little bit sad about this all is that I know how hard the front office works to come up with that 
promotional yeah. calendar. And I had Pat Philippone on my radio show the other day, and we were talking about the challenges of now trying to get restarted. And, and we'll be grateful to get restarted, I think, once once baseball does finally come back. But um, you don't know what the promotional calendar is going to look like. But I feel like, especially if it's, say, a half a season, um, I feel like there are going to be more of those nights that are packed. I feel like people are going to want to get out and, and come to the ballpark, regardless if there's a, a bobblehead giveaway or fireworks or not. So uh, you can expect those those crowds at the gate when you pull up, uh, you know, and, and a lot of times they'll start a couple of hours before gates even open if it's a, if it's a really cool giveaway. Um, you could expect the fans to be very into it. And you don't always get that at minor league venues. You know, some sometimes there's a bit of apathy, but at Banner Island, I think in part because the seats are so close to the field, you get fans that are, as the game goes on, and if, especially if it's a really good game, they're dialed into what's going on on the field. And because of yeah. our broadcast spot, which is, you know, right behind home plate and, and right at that low vantage point, you can really feel the energy from the crowd. So uh, those are a couple of fun things that, that you can expect once we get going again. Well, and before I get to because I, I want to hear more about what Pat had to say about how they're going to reshuffle some of those things, some of those promotional giveaways. But do you think some of that has to do with just the way Banner Island ballpark is constructed? I mean, there's, I'm, I, I would imagine that in single A baseball throughout the country, there's some ballparks that don't feel like a legitimate ballpark. Banner Island ballpark to me feels like a legitimate, you know, baseball, like modern, somewhat modern, well, modern, yeah. I would say. I mean, built in 2000, completed in 2005. Feels like a legit ballpark. Does that have something to do with the atmosphere and really the pride that maybe Ports fans take and come to the ballpark every day? Yeah, absolutely. I think a big. Uh, I hope you don't hear my dogs going crazy. By the well, way, I got a weed whacker outside, man. I mean, we are full quarantine <laughs> over here. <laughs> so, so it goes. Or peak twenty twenty right now. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the three hundred sixty degree concourse. You don't get that at a lot of ballparks, yeah. and even even the ones that are really really high end you don't have the ability to walk completely around the ballpark and, and literally see everything from every vantage point. Um, and for me as a kid growing up, like I grew up going to Fenway in, in Boston and you, you basically had down the lines uh, and you had a little bit of right field and, and the bleachers, but you didn't have, you couldn't get 360. You can now if you have like, you know, the monster tickets, but um, having that vantage point from straightaway center field, uh, if, if you want it, it's, it's awesome. Like you can, you can literally see the game from any which way you want. Um, and I think I was talking about the intimacy before. I think that adds to it. You know, you can, you can experience the game from so many different angles. Um, and I never considered what a big deal that was until I walked around the ballpark and, uh, and was able to, to do that. I didn't have many times where I was off, but there were times where I was working, I had a partner for a year or two and I got, you know, for an inning or two to go around and experience what it was like. And having that concourse was, was pretty cool. Well, that, that's a great point. Actually. I think that I didn't real that I didn't realize until you just brought it up. I mean, a lot of single a ballparks, you basically got foul line to foul line if you're lucky. Right. Mm -hmm. And and maybe yeah. even some double a ballparks, but having that, yeah. the, the 360 concourse, uh, certainly adds a lot. So let's get to your discussion with Pat here on your radio show recently and that promotional calendar. And how is that going to be affected? Are we just going to see the same amount of promotions just crammed into it? I mean, again, a lot of this, I guess, is undetermined because we don't know, uh, you know, when all of this is going to pick back up. But how how did that conversation go with with our buddy Pat Philippone? Yeah, he he didn't know. Like, we just don't know. We don't know. 
you know, we're hoping there's a season. I think we both kind of had the date of, of July 1st. Uh, I'm sorry, June 1st uh, scare in me. mind. July 1st. Is, is, that? <laughs> I said July 1st, man. So that's a long way could, off, it feels like. Could, could be. I mean, we, we yeah. both kind of had – we're fantasizing about June 1st. Like, that yeah. could be, I think, the earliest spot where it could be feasible, depending on how this thing goes – but like, you know, he didn't know. And, and what, what really is, is tough is that Stockton had the all-star game, obviously. Yeah. And that's a big event. And there's a lot of planning that goes into that. And now it's, it's up in the air and I'm sure it'll, it'll come back. You know, I don't know if they're going to have one this year, but maybe it, maybe it happens in, in 2021. Maybe, maybe they push everything down a year. Have they announced the 2020 all-star game yet or the 2021 all-star game? I don't think so. No, I think they yeah. announced it at the all-star game the previous year. So it would have been announced like at this, at this year's all-star game, but um, you know, it, it just, it's a, it's a tough deal. And, and because of the unknowns, you just don't know. And I'm, I guarantee this, if, if we get going again, like they're going to get as many promotion dates in there as they can. They're going to get as many fireworks, as many of those giveaways and they'll have it condensed and, you know, and, and ready to go for the, the games that they do have. So it's going to be, it's going to be a really compact promotion schedule. I, I think if, uh, if, and when we get going, it's really a lot of this stuff you don't even think about. Right. I mean, last time I was at the offices in, in Stockton at the ballpark, I grabbed like 15 promotional schedules, you know, like we talked about, I mean, you're stoked to get going with the aces. I'm not sure if I've said that yet, by the way, congratulations uh, on your new gig in AAA with the Reno aces. That is, I mean, that is awesome. I'm pumped. I'm yeah, pumped. You should be there. Thank you. It's uh, it's a great, great organization. Um, I actually officially started with them yesterday. Not on, not the way that I was planning to from home, yeah. but uh, officially started with the aces yesterday and they've been fantastic and great, a great team to, to get working with for sure. I'm excited about the future. But that, I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, I'm sure you did something similar to me, you know, you grab a bunch of pocket schedules and you're stoked to get going. You just yeah. don't know how the schedule is going to be affected. The, the all-star game is, is something that, that I had written down actually to talk to you about, you know, I mean, you've been around for one of those all-star games back in 2007. What is that event like? And what does it mean to a host city? It's really neat. Like, you know, a city like Stockton or like a city like Worcester, Massachusetts, where I grew up, which yeah. I call Stockton, the Worcester of the West. Like they're so similar, but there are these markets that are not always highlighted like you know you have the big cities that are that are highlighted and uh you know put on a pedestal but the city like stockton doesn't get that opportunity much and this is one of the events where you can really draw out if you're the ports and the cali you draw out the best of what stockton has to offer and really highlight the businesses and the people um and and kind of the, the ethos of the city if you will so that's what, that's what it really means. Like you have people from all over the league coming to see what your town is all about. Um, you have a lot of media that'll come out and, you know, I know Pat runs these games so well, like you have events surrounding the game that, that make it really fun for anybody that wants to come out and have that experience. So, so that's what it means. Uh, and the, the game itself is, I mean, it was sold out in, in 07. So it was extremely successful and well attended. Um, and there was a great atmosphere in the ballpark for that. And I think it's something the players will always remember, you know. So on many levels, it, it hurts to to lose it for now. But I, I guarantee uh, if it doesn't happen this year, it will be back in Stockton soon enough. And I wouldn't I wouldn't 
I wouldn't put it past being 2021 if they, if they cancel the all-star game this year. Yeah. Again, and again, there's, I'm sure there's a plenty of variables that, that come into play there. Uh, while, while we're still on the, the, you know, the subject of, of the coronavirus and, and how that's affecting things, of course, some, some sad news, Webster Garrison, who was last year's manager has been in Stockton you know, plenty of times over the last handful of years. Uh, he is in a fight with coronavirus down in his native, uh, Louisiana. So knock on wood, nothing has taken a turn for the worse. Uh, but you know, have, can you provide any updates? What, you know, besides what's going out on social media, what do you know about Webby and, and what about his personality lends to staying positive in, in his fight with this thing? Well, as far as updates go, I, I talked, as I said, with Rick Magnante uh, this yeah. morning and Rick's, uh, you know, Rick is uh, with his wife, Chris, and, and they're at, at home in LA. And, um, you know, he, he has just heard that he's still on the, on the ventilator. He's uh, in a medically induced coma is what, what Rick said. So, you know, they're hoping that he can just get through it. Um, uh, I think they're worried probably about the after effects because they say that, that sometimes the after effects can be really bad you know if you get this and you're ill-equipped to handle it right it'd be a different different ball game no pun intended moving forward so you know you hope step one is he's able to get out of that medically induced coma get rid of the virus and then step two i think will be assessing if there are any any leftover effects from from covid but um you know he's such a a strong guy he's a he's just a strong dude like he former first round pick in the eighties athlete. Um, you know, he gets on the field every day. He's a baseball lifer. So he's been on the field every day of his life. Um, and he's got a, uh, he's got a, a joy for, for being alive and for being around people. Um, and I think in, in these moments, you, if you're somebody in his situation, you kind of channel that even maybe in a medically induced coma, you're able to summon that, that part of yourself uh, to try and get through something like this. And I think that coupled with the fact that so many people love and, and uh, are, are praying for Webby right now, that I, I think a combination of those two have me feeling optimistic that, that he'll be okay and, and he'll make it through this. But yeah, you talk about like it totally hitting home when, when you find out that, that Webby has it and he's fighting for his life. Like that's, that's, uh, that's serious. Like that's, yeah. That hits you. That yeah. Hits you. Uh, it's especially for you. I mean, I, I, like I said, the nine days that I was there, I mean, you really made me feel welcome, you mm -hmm. know, not feel scared of going to the clubhouse to talk to him or anything like that. I was only there for nine days, you know, and I, yeah. you, we've seen the outpouring of support on social media. I saw Austin Beck tweeted something. I saw several former players. He's the first one that came to mind, but several mm -hmm. former players have tweeted things. Fans have tweeted about and, and shared their experience <laughs> Uh, experiences with Webby as well. I mean, you really understand the type of person he is and the impact that he has, he's had on so many people. And there's certainly a lot of people right beside him in that fight. Yeah. He, he, one of the, the qualities that I admire about him is that he always had time for everybody. Like there's times where there's people that want to interview the manager. And after a while, like, you know, as, as the person that's the go between, which is someone like you or I, it's like you worry about wearing them out. It's like, okay, like, hey, I got another one for you. I got another yeah. one for you. But he was one of those guys where I wouldn't hesitate to ask uh, if he had time to go 
do an interview with somebody because no matter who, no matter the outlet, like he always made time. And he, not only that, he genuinely enjoyed talking to everybody and he, he brought, he brought his, uh, his joy for the game and his joy for, for life into every one of those conversations that he had with, uh, with media members. And I would always just kind of stand by and make sure everything was, was going okay. And I always marveled at how he was so genuinely himself when talking with, uh, people that that came up to him for interviews uh, not a lot of people especially not a lot of managers are like that they put a guard up but uh, he was never one of those guys like he wanted to give you the best of himself uh, no matter who you were it's interesting because you know early in this conversation we talk about how we're coping with it and you know hey we want baseball back as soon as possible but like you said when it hits close to home like that you really understand this is much bigger than sports and bigger than baseball and bigger than being cooped up inside for you know, a month, maybe two, maybe, yep. maybe longer, you know, it's, it's yeah. bigger than that. This has effect on real people. Yeah, your friends' lives depend on it potentially, you know? Right. Right. Okay. Let's uh, let's, uh, I wanted to make sure we got Webby in there because obviously sure. what he means, the ports organization to the stocking community, I'm sure to you personally and everybody is coming to contact with, let's get back to a lighter side now and, and put the focus back on baseball. The last time the Stockton ports, won a Cal League championship was in 2008. And it's hard to believe. I, that's the longest drought in the league now, Zach. There's, I mean, in the Cal League, there's been some, some incredible parity. Yeah. Well, that means that you're probably going to call the next championship. You already got the no-hitter, you know. Probably this year, just to spite you, right? No, it, it probably is going to happen <laughs> this, this next year. Like, you're, you're going to get it. Um, but I'm, I'll tell you what, I was digging. I was cleaning out boxes. I think a lot of people are doing some cleaning right now, which is yeah. like the, the – positive effect of this whole thing and I found a box and it had uh, not only the card set uh, from the 08 team which had the likes of like Sean Doolittle as a first baseman and Chris <laughs> Carter and, and those big pitching prospects yeah um, I found I found my championship ring my 08 championship ring was in that and it was kind of like my my stocks and ports memento box and uh like I'll always be so grateful that I have the memory of that year because it was a special year. Um, the, the, the division championship series was the best series I've ever called the ports and the San Jose giants. Uh, Tyson Ross made his Cal league debut. I know your buddy, you know, yeah. uh, Tyson go way back. I, way back. Yeah. yeah. And I remember Tyson came up from uh, Kane County at the time, the low A club was Kane County and, he just dealt in, in San Jose. Like he was a big reason why uh, Josh Donaldson made a name for himself in that series. Uh, Buster Posey made his San Jose giants debut wow. in that series. And he got trucked at home plate by Archie Gilbert in a collision. I'll never forget. I mean, they didn't Archie, change the rules then, right? But, nope. Nope. <laughs> they, uh, they did not have the rules changed. And little did we know that would be kind of be a harbinger of things to come uh, for Buster, but I'll never forget uh, those moments from the 08 uh championship run like not only did it culminate in the championship but the road to get there was phenomenal it was phenomenal and uh, i'm very fond of those memories I mean, yeah there's been sorry not to get like too much on memory lane but yeah parody in the cal league uh there's been a lot of it and it's i mean it's good for the game visalia won for the first time since 1978 last year so that's great for that organization yeah that's that's 
I mean, 40 something years. It's a long time when you have 32 teams, like in the major leagues, but you know, when you're talking about 10, eight teams over the last handful of years, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, But you know, it's, it's, and I'm, I'm excited for you to get to know the league because in getting to know the league, you get to know organizations um, and what their philosophies are and how they draft and how they develop. Um, like the, the Rockies, for instance, I, we became very familiar with the Rockies when they were in Modesto. They're still in the league. They're in Lancaster. You see them a little bit less. But like when they were in Modesto, you just knew how they drafted, how they developed. Like they rarely sure. had instances where they moved pieces up or down. Like they kept their units together and they developed together. Um, they I never did. thought about that. That is interesting because each club, and sorry to cut you off, but each club no. probably has a, a different like fundamental thought on how to develop players, yep. whether it be individually or as a unit. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and the factors that, that decide those things vary. Like, yeah. The, like the Angels, for example, in Inland Empire, they had kind of a lack of, of inventory, for lack of a, a better way to say it. Uh, their farm system was really thin. So you had guys that were moving up uh, from Inland Empire at times that, you know, you figured they should probably repeat the league. But because they, they were so thin in their farm system, like they kind of had to get guys moving. Um, and I think it's getting better now for the Angels, but there was a time where their, their cupboard was pretty thin and, and they were doing things a certain way. So you kind of got to understand how the angels operated on that level, right. but, but, you know, uh, the A's have stayed very consistent in the way they do things. Like they're not shy about moving guys up or down mid season. Um, you know, they usually have, uh, a good inventory of players that are playing and performing well at the higher levels. So, uh, they tend to be a little more patient with guys at, you know, the low A level and, and at times even in Stockton, but, to me, getting to know the league, because it is such a, a small, intimate league, um, that was a real treat and a real education for me as a baseball fan as to how organizations maneuver and operate. So how does that affect, you know, your job or our job now when you see different clubs, uh, you know, operating in, in different ways? And, and particularly with the A's, since, of course, we're talking about the Stockton Ports, particularly mm-hmm. with the A's you know, and, and their philosophy in, in how they move players up and down, how they push players or hold them back or challenge them. How does that affect our job? Um, I think it actually lends itself to, uh, to, to better storytelling on air. Like you can, you can incorporate a lot of what you're seeing on the field and tie it to, uh, you know, how the organization decided to handle a certain prospect or decided to handle a certain group of guys. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember when I first started, and this is going like way back. Um, you, you read Moneyball? Oh yeah, it, it's been a while, but yes, yeah, I did. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's been a while for me too since I've since I've read it. But you know, they, the A's drafted Jeremy Bonderman, and then uh, you know Billy and those guys were were off of drafting high school pitchers for a long time, and then sure. they got back in it in '05, and they drafted three high school pitchers. Uh, I was. Jared Lansford, Craig Italiano, and would it be yeah. Vin Mazzaro? Vinny, yeah, Vin Mazzaro, great yeah. pull. Look at yeah. you, you're our see, hey, lifelong ace fan, man. Go. I grew up you're here ready in to Oakland. Go. <laughs> Vin, Vin Mazzaro, yeah. Vinny lived with my my wife's family at the time, so like I don't know how I forgot Vinny, but I uh, they were host, he had, they were hosting. He had the best career out of those three, I would think, in the big leagues. I mean, he was in the big leagues yeah. for a handful of years. Yeah, he did, he did, but. Um, 
so the A's drafted those three guys. They came through Stockton. And I remember being able to connect those guys with what happened, you know, nearly a half a decade before with Moneyball and tie it all together and tell the story of, of why these guys were special in the context of the organization. Um, so I think the more familiar you get with, uh, with teams, with organizations and the way they do things, the better you can be as an on-air storyteller. Um, and that doesn't go just for the A's. Like you'll get to know the league and be able to really uh, make that connection with a lot of teams. That is so Kai, you're, you're just getting, I mean, I'm looking outside Zach and it's, <laughs> it's a blue sky. The sun is shining. You're telling me, I mean, I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Same I'm ready man. I'm chomping going. at the bit. Yeah. I'm chomping at the bit. This is actually, uh, this is a bit cathartic for me right now to talk yeah. like this. Okay. So let's, uh, let, let's finish up with some, some kind of rapid fire type questions here. And we, we, you talked a little bit about that too. Anything to add to that 2008 team, by the way, before we, before we move on, uh, because I, I did have that written. I wanted to talk about that club and I know it was early in your career as well. Uh, so I, I guess kind of talk about that club and maybe even what it meant to you in your career as well. It, it taught me, it taught me how to call big moments. And I, and I mean, I, I didn't, if I go back now and listen to some of those games, which I probably still have them somewhere, I'd probably call them a lot different. Sure. You know, now 10 years later than I did. I mean, it was pure ex excitement, um, you know, and now that excitement would be tempered with, you know, just more experience. But what, what stands out to me, about the 08 team outside of the fact that they won the championship, there were guys on that team that were guys that were un kind of unsung heroes on that team. And I remember a lot of the guys that never made it uh, to the big leagues, uh, just as much as I remember Josh Donaldson or Matt Spencer or Chris Carter, mm -hmm. um, you know, Archie Gilbert, I, I mentioned Archie Gilbert was one of the best leadoff hitters I've seen in the Cal League. I mean, he is the prototypical what you wanted uh, out of Cal State East Bay. Like table setter type of guy? With speed. Yeah, he was just a grinder. He was just okay. a tough SOB. Like, he was, he was a tough out. Like, he did not hesitate to run Buster Posey over at home plate. Like, didn't <laughs> care, didn't hesitate. Um, kind of unto himself, but, but very businesslike approach. Um, and to set the table for that lineup, which was potent, like Josh Horton was the prototypical. Do you remember that name at all? Josh I do Horton? remember that name because I mean, I, at this UNC. time, Zach, like, you know, 07, 08, I'm following because I'm, I'm a, you know, a diehard A's fan growing mm -hmm. up. So I'm following all these guys from, you know, looking at the minor league box scores and stuff. So yeah, I do. I do remember that name. So, like Josh Horton was the prototypical two hole hitter. That guy hit better with two strikes on him than any other hitter that I've seen before or since. Um, it was almost like he'd rather hit with two strikes on him. Like he just had this approach where he was so tough to strike out, you know, put the ball in play and you had Archie that preceded him in the lineup. Archie just got on base. Archie learned how to steal the second half of the season much better. Um, he, he, funny story. And I'm going to, I'm going to deviate here. No, please um, do. Archie Gilbert was named a Cal League All-Star. And so uh, he was on the All-Star team with Peter Borges, who was the league leader in steals that year for Rancho Cucamonga when they were the Angels affiliate. And Peter Borges taught Archie Gilbert a little maneuver to, to 
increases his base stealing prowess. Like Borges would get his lead and kind of have a, a little slight turn towards yeah. second. Yeah. And Archie never did that. But once Archie incorporated that into his base stealing technique in the second half of the season, he was lethal on the bases. So you had Archie Gilbert, who was the table setter base stealer, Josh Horton, who was never struck out. And then to follow that, you had beginning of the season, you had Doolittle, who was the three hole hitter who was the best hitter on that team. The best pure hitter on that team was Sean Doolittle. Uh, and I will maintain that to this day. Uh, you had Chris Carter as the cleanup hitter. And then – How many home runs did he hit that year? Wasn't it like 36? It's the Cal League record, isn't it? It's, it's the franchise record. Franchise not, record. Not the league record. I want to say it was 39. 39, which in 140 was, games is like off unbelievable. Off top of my head. Yeah. And he had, he had a grand slam in the uh, clincher of the championship series at Lancaster that's probably still soaring – through the Mojave Desert right now. It was a, a mammo. Um, but then, you know, you get to midseason and you have Josh Donaldson as your five-hole hitter. Like, that's stupid. You know, you, you go down about that. The, was that. Was that the year of the Rich Harden trade when they acquired Josh Donaldson? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was the first guy Donaldson met when he joined the A's. Like, he came into <laughs> Bakersfield. We were in at the Days Inn in Bakersfield, and I was sitting in the lobby, and in comes this dude with a Cubs duffel bag and the taxi. No Uber at the time. Like, the yeah. airport shuttle or taxi had just dropped him off. And he, he was like, are you, uh, are you with, like, with Stockton team? I was like, yeah. Like, you know, what's your name? And so I'm Josh. I'm like, oh, Josh Donaldson. Yeah, he just got traded. And so we talked, and we kind of always had that moment at the Days Inn in Bakersfield. And a couple of years later, uh, when he was in AAA with the River Cats, like I ran into him because we'd always have the scrimmage with the ports and the River Cats, right? And uh, and like you know, remembered me and everything. Struck up the conversation like it was '08 again. Uh, just really cool. So I'll kind of always have that that special memory of Donaldson and him being just traded and trying to find somebody to to get him all set up. And I was the guy that he he ended up finding. Um, but that that lineup was special. Um, at the bottom of the order was uh, Matt Salentic who was, I mean, probably the toughest guy on the team. There was a benches clearing brawl that he may or may not have started uh, with Modesto <laughs> in 2008. I have, I have the footage, by the way. Uh, I would I love still, to see it. Yeah, I still I'd love have to it. See it. Yeah, sure. there's some who's, sure there's some who's who's in that, in that benches clearing brawl. It was, it was pretty At that good. time, Modesto would have been the Rockies? They were the Rockies, okay. yeah. Um, but he ended up uh, fracturing his ulna, I believe. He got hit by a pitch, and he had to miss the last month or so of the season. But, I mean, I go back and look at that, that roster. And, and, by the way, that doesn't even get into the pitching. Um, Faltino De Los Santos, Henry Rodriguez. Uh, Graham Godfrey was the number five starter on that team, the number five starter. Um, a, couple, a couple of the names are escaping me. but Faltino I mean, De Los Santos, that is yeah. a blast from the past. Yeah, yeah. And Henry Rodriguez played in the Futures game that year. Right. Yeah, Godfrey was the five starter. It's bothering me that I can't place the other two because they were big leaguers also. But it was an all ended up being an all big league rotation. Oh, Brad Anderson and Trevor Cahill. Those are the other two. Mm -hmm. Like, you kidding? Both their so names have, are hanging right there underneath the press box, right? Yeah, they have a dual yeah. bobblehead that that we put out when they made right. the. But it was De Los Santos, Henry Rodriguez, Anderson Cahill, and Graham Godfrey. Wow. And then to complement that lineup, so. Uh, sorry, you sent me way back into the 08, uh, the 08 archives and uh, just digging up nuggets from that year still makes me happy. I love it. There's, I mean, there's no baseball right now, Zach. We've got all the time in the world. You know? <laughs> so uh, as much baseball stuff, as much port stuff as we could fit in, the better. 
Um, however, with that said, this does have to come to an end at some point. So let, let's get going with some rapid fire. Give me one, uh, one prospect that came through the ports in, during your 14 years uh, that, that was the most unforgettable for whatever reason on the field. One prospect. Wow. Sean Doolittle. There you go. And, and, and uh, I mean that in, in two ways, as both a position player and a pitcher. Okay. Um, you know, he came through. I said he was the best hitter on the 08 team. There's a moment I'll never forget where Sean had a bad game. Uh, I went over something, struck out a couple of times. And I w- I'm usually the last one to leave the ballpark outside of the cleaning crew. And, like, I'm leaving after I did all the work that I do after the game. And I kept hearing, like, thwack, thwack, thwack in the, in the batting cages down in right field. And this is, like – you know, 11 o'clock, 11.30, and I kind of took a peek down, and there was Sean taking swings. Like, he, he was not only supremely talented, but he was equally hardworking. And I'll never forget that moment where Sean was just by himself, and those are the things that nobody sees. And, you know, when you see a guy make it like Sean did, uh, you understand, having seen that, some of the reasons why. And then a couple years later, he comes back, and it's just a fireballer that nobody can touch, which was insane. Throwing 96 miles an hour. He had like a riding fastball. It almost had that illusion like yeah. it rises, you know? Yeah, he had no shot. Unreal. I remember talking to Anthony Aliotti, who's one of my best friends. I remember talking to Anthony Aliotti about trying to hit him as a lefty. He said it's like impossible. Like yeah. he can't hit his fastball. Yeah. Okay. Uh, g- give me a first thing that comes to mind, memorable performance or moment. Outside of that 20, 2000. Actually, we'll include the 2018. Whew. Gosh, and now we're going back 14 years. And whatever, I mean, in any of those 14 years, first Tan- memorable performance or moment that comes to mind? Tanner Peters' near-perfect game in 2013. Um, memorable on, on a number of levels. Uh, it was 25 up, 25 down, first of all. Wow. He was two, two outs away from a perfect game. They had to call – Scott Emerson was the pitching coordinator at the time, so they had to call Emo to make sure that they could throw him out there for the ninth. Uh, Webby was the manager that year, speaking of Webby. Um, and so they said, okay, extend him. He can go into the ninth and try for it. Um, also memorable for me because an hour before the game, Paul Meiskins, who's our legendary official scorer, uh, called me and said, I can't – like, I'm sick and I'm, I'm throwing up and I can't come in and I'm trying to call all my – villains and none of them are available can you score the game so I was the official scorer that game and oh my gosh are you serious (laughs) and the guy comes two outs away from a perfect game two outs away so like I'm a basket case by the ninth inning I don't get rattled by much but like when you're when you're the official scorer on the hook for a perfect game you're also trying to like stick the call if it's going (laughs) to be there and you're also not trying to like screw up like a 50 50 play um, it was, it was, um, it was an inning I will never forget. And, uh, did you, you have any, change. did you have any close calls like leading up to that point? Cause I can imagine around the fifth of the six, you're like, you understand what's going on now. Yeah, there, there were, uh, no, it was pretty clean. It was okay. pretty clean. I got really lucky. I got really lucky. Um, and gosh, he left a change up too high and it was on a two strike pitch. I want to say too. And it was clean double off the wall to break it up. Bummer. And, uh, man, I, I wish I had seen it because that was, I mean, spine-tingling excitement going into the ninth inning. Okay, first thing that comes to mind, memorable road trip or bus ride, one or the other? <laughs> I don't know exactly what I can say here. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Oh man, you memorable. Judgment. Let's see, memorable road trip would have to be my first time to high desert. I've heard uh, of is, some of the stories. Which is no longer in the league um, because if you've been to Adelanto, California, you kind of know what I'm talking about. I'd never been, and it's literally out in the in the high desert. And I remember I fell asleep on the bus and we were on 99 going south. And this is a kid from Worcester, Mass. Like I'd never, I don't know what the heck high desert is. And so we go over the Tatchby Pass and I'd been asleep this whole time and I wake up and I look out and I'm like, where in the hell are we? Like, this is nothingness. And I'm like, they play baseball out here. And sure enough, like in the middle of the desert, there is a a ballpark. It's still there, still there. And unfortunately, I never kept it up. Uh, But, you know, it's still there. It's a bit dilapidated, but it's just this ballpark in the middle of nowhere. And I'll never forget being so struck by the fact that in this barren setting there's a baseball team and like people live out here and they work out here and it was an eye-opener for me and and there's certainly a you know opportunity where I'm seeing a different part of the country and I'm like this is this is crazy um so that's probably the memorable road trip Uh, memorable bus ride would be the bus ride back from the 08 uh championship from Lancaster because you know guys were were playing cards and it was the end of the season um (laughs) And uh, let's just leave it at that. Like it was a good, it was a good, it was a good Our imaginations are going wild right now. We we had, we had a lot of fun and, uh, and we bonded and it was the last time that I was together with a a real special group of guys. So I'll never forget it. What about like oddest hour of the night that you've gotten back home or gotten to another park when you, when there's a game to do the next day? So we had, this is, this never happened outside of the 07 season. We were at Lake Elsinore for a night game. And then the next day we were at San Jose for a night game. So instead of sending us from Lake Elsinore to Stockton, and then we'd usually commute, they let us go from Elsinore to uh, the Prune Yard in, uh, in Campbell. I don't know if you've ever been there, but that's nope. where the, the visiting hotel used to be in San Jose. Okay. It's a great, great hotel. Um, but uh, we had to go through the night from Lake Elsinore to the Prune Yard. And I remember like, you know, you're bleary eyed when you get in at 630 in the morning and we got in and they had the breakfast buffet out. So it's like, okay, like, let me have some breakfast and then try and go to sleep for a couple you know, hours, six seven hours. Yeah. And I just remember some of our guys like getting off the bus were, you know, it's just a weird thing. Like you drive through the night and now it's time to go have breakfast with people that are waking up and then you got a game in a few hours, you know, you got to get to the field in a few hours. So uh, fortunately uh, that never happened again. Like we'd never had an Elsinore san jose back to back but that was a weird one no doubt i can only imagine getting there at 6 30 in the morning when people are eating breakfast yeah okay favorite uh favorite concession item in the cal league i don't know how much you eat the concession stands i'm sure i'll find that out soon but favorite concession item i i did like so back in my early days i absolutely did i mean i was still in my you know early 20s and i could metabolize that kind of food uh um should I give you one that, that still exists? doesn't matter. Whatever you want. Okay. Uh, so Visalia, the ice cream, uh, it's from Rosa Brothers Dairy. And I'm a big cookies and cream ice cream fan. Like oh, I don't I have, a, I don't have a, I don't have a terrible sweet tooth, but if you give me like Oreo cookies or cookies and cream, anything, like I'm all in. And there's a dairy called Rosa Brothers and it's in, uh, you know, that part of the Central Valley and they serve their ice cream at Recreation Ballpark. So the one thing I will indulge in, and this is maybe once or twice a series when we're there, is they, they serve it in the little helmet. 
and I'll have a uh, cookies and cream ice cream from from Rosa Brothers, and it really hits the spot on a 108 degree night in Visalia when you're just sweating, getting ready to wear it. So, th and that's still available there. Yep. Yep. I know what I'm it. doing. First trip to Visalia. Yep. Without a doubt, I know I'll be outside. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you will. Sorry about it. Uh, that, hey, it comes with the territory, right? Yep, it does. Well, hey, Zach, thanks so much for taking the time, man. I appreciate it. I, I know we both got plenty of time on our hands right now, and uh, but it's nice to be able to, to sit down and, and catch up with you. I'm sure the fans are going to you know, love hearing from you. Uh, yeah, buddy. Icon in Stockton, I know that much. And I'm, uh, I'm You're about up. to be. They're I know lucky to have you. They're lucky to have you. I'm just looking forward to getting started, man, just like I know you are. I hope we have baseball soon. Uh, stay safe, and, uh, and I'm buddy. sure I'll, I'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me, and uh, go Ports. Go Ports. Always. Zach Beirudi joining us on our first Stockton Ports podcast. We'll have plenty more for you in the coming weeks. Thank you for listening to our inaugural episode of the Portside Pod. If there are topics or interview subjects you'd like to hear on future episodes, tweet at me, at ajensen86. The Portside Pod is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as anchor.fm slash Stockton-Ports. You can also visit the Ports website at StocktonPorts.com and follow the Ports on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and other social media platforms. Until next time, I'm Alex Jensen. Please stay safe, and we'll talk to you next time on the Portside Pod.